Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. We hope you're continuing to stay safe as we all continue to get through the coronavirus pandemic together. And to the essential workers listening to this podcast, we continue to thank you for all that you do and helping us through this time. On this episode of the Power Alley podcast, we'll take a look back at some of the memorable moments in the month of May in the history of the Buffalo Bisons, not only in the team's modern era, but we'll also look back to one of the more memorable moments in Bison's history as we go all the way back to the late 1800s and check in with Brian Frank of the Herd Chronicles for one of those moments among many from the vast history of the Buffalo Bisons. But as we continue on with the Power Alley podcast here today, We know that baseball here in the United States continues to be on pause as we await, hopefully, a start date for Major League Baseball and what that might mean for a minor league season. You may have noticed on ESPN last week, they have begun to televise games from the Korean Baseball Organization as that league plays to empty stadiums. But before that, in Taiwan, the season had begun for the CPBL, where we find one of the members of the 2019 Buffalo Bisons. And I had a chance to catch up with Ryan Fearbend late last week as he plays for the unit president 7-Eleven Lions over in Taiwan this season. And Fearbend has already had several starts. One of the things I touch on with Ryan is playing in front of no fans, but also now they are starting to let fans, albeit 1,000 maximum, into stadiums in Taiwan to see the CPBL. And I talked to Ryan about that among many other topics right here in the Power Alley. First of all, uh, the, the biggest question, I guess, is how are you doing and, you know, how have you been dealing with uh, all that has gone on with th- this pandemic so far? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Pat. I, you know, I appreciate you, appreciate you reaching out to me over in Taiwan. Um, but things are, things are going pretty good over here. Um, you know, I've played in, played in Korea for four years, which some people know, and a lot of people wore masks over there before the pandemic even happened. And um, the way things are going here, it's pretty much the same. Like, people wore masks before the pandemic came out. Now there's just a little bit more people wearing masks. Um, and every everyday life is almost normal. I mean, the only difference is, is now when you go somewhere, they, they check your temperature before you walk into the mall or walk into a restaurant. They put hand sanitizer in your hands to make sure, you know, you're being safe. And, um, you know, I couldn't be happier with the way the uh, Taiwanese government's handling stuff here and, taking care of their people and taking care of taking care of, of us uh, foreigners being over here. Um, as far as the baseball side of things, baseball is going good. Uh, we started the season on April 12th, and we didn't have fans in the stands or anything like that to start. We just had our first game last night, actually, with fans in the stands. A thousand fans were allowed in, so it was definitely nice to have that atmosphere back back at the stadium. Yeah, what, what was that like? I mean, could you get the sense that there were people more than just, you know, what, whether it be staff or whatever that was in the ballpark for your first couple starts? Yeah, so the first couple starts was basically just like spring training. I mean, it, you, you didn't think anything different. I mean, that's how it was for all of our spring training games, too. So it was just like, oh, the season's starting, and it's, it's the exact same as it was, you know, before it started. Uh, so have have the having fans in the stands, albeit you know a thousand people, you could definitely feel the buzz when you looked up, looked around. You actually saw faces in the stands. You didn't see cardboard cutouts like some of the stadiums had beforehand, or robots, um, and other stadium had as well. So it was definitely nice to to have the the element of fans there. Now before you even get to the ballpark, what is 
day-to-day life, maybe on the field first, and then you mentioned a little bit off the field as well, but are there things that maybe that you didn't experience in Korea in your couple of years over there, that whether it be temperature checks or whatever, that now you have to go through this regimen before you even get in the ballpark? Yeah, I mean, for the the biggest thing is is definitely the temperature checks with everything going on with the pandemic, and uh, like I said, they're doing a really good job of monitoring it. You know, every everything else, day to day life, as far as you know, going to the park. I mean, that's that's the only thing. I mean, you get to the park, they check your temperature, they write it down, they keep a log of it every single day, um, and then it's just right to work you go. Uh, I know, I think in the KBO in Korea right now, they're having you know, players wear masks and stuff inside the locker room and they're doing X number of temperature checks a day. But, you know, knock on wood, it's been pretty good so far the way we've been doing it to where it's just checking your temperature. If you're, you're good to go, you're good to go type thing. And it's, it's tough to do the social distancing thing when you're an athlete. I mean, you're around your team and teammates, you know, all the time. And you just, you just hope people are smart when they're away from the stadium and um, you hope that they're doing the right things to, to keep the rest of their teammates healthy. Uh, as far as away from the stadium, you know, I just, I try to live a normal life. You know, I live in an apartment and, um, go out and do things with, with the rest of my teammates on off days. And, you know, they take temperatures when you go to the mall, they put hand sanitizer in your hand just to be safe, but everything's pretty much, pretty much normal here. That's great to hear. And uh, hopefully it gets to that point uh, here in the States soon enough. Um, how is your family back here in the States, uh, your wife and your children, how are they dealing with um, you being that far away and all this going on? Yeah, surprisingly, they're doing pretty well. I mean, you know, every every now and then, like, they have breakdowns and the kids go nuts and my wife wants to, you know, leave and then do all that stuff as a normal parent would want to do when their kids are at home all the time. But, um, you know, Sarah, my wife, is, has been a rock for not only me being over here, but a rock for, for the family at home. And, and she does great things for, for the kids and, and helping them with their schoolwork. Um, she was she was a teacher at one point before the kids were born. So having having that as a background is is really helping our kids um, keep up on their schoolwork now that school's been canceled. Um, so they've been doing well. Every chance they get when it's nice out, um, they get outside and, and and try and play as much as they can outside. But otherwise, there's enough to do inside with electronics nowadays, with PlayStation and iPads and all that good stuff. So um, they're doing all right. Great to hear. Um, Ryan, how did this deal uh, with the, the team in Taiwan sort of come about? Is this something that had been in your radar before, or was this something new? Yeah, so the deal, the deal with Taiwan, this is something that's been, I don't want to say in the works, but this is something this team that I'm on now, the, the uni president, 7-Eleven Lions, uh, tongue twister there, um, they had been trying to get me over here since 2012, actually, when I was in independent ball, and it just I didn't feel it was the right fit, right timing. And, you know, last year with Buffalo, I didn't have a, a great season for the team or the fans. And, um, you know, they were still on me, still wanted me to come over here. So I talked to my wife and we said, look, we don't have many options. Let's give it a whirl. And, you know, here I am. Been here since February 5th and um, pretty happy with the way things are going so far. How has the knuckleball been flying so far? You know, it's it's weird. Some days it's really good and then other days it, it's it's not. And I think that's just how it is in the States, too. Um, but with the the temperature and the humidity here it's not dancing as much i thought it would be dancing as a lot more but um i've been able to mix it in a little bit more like i was 
in Buffalo, mix it in more in sense like I'm using other pitches, not like I did in Toronto where, I, you know, they kind of wanted me just to be a knuckleball pitcher. Um, I'm more of my comfort level doing what I'm doing. Um, and I actually added my slider back into my repertoire, which I didn't, I haven't thrown in almost three years because of having shoulder problems. And um, the last couple of games has been really, really well for me as having another pitch. How is the game over in, in Taiwan as compared to maybe here in the States or fans have been watching the, the KBO the first couple of days here? You know, how, what are some maybe similarities or differences that people might, might uh, know about? Well, I would definitely say, you know, the first thing is this league is, is a hitter's league. Uh, there's only four teams in the league that's in the mid major leagues, and then in their farm system there's a fifth team, and that fifth team uh, is going to join the major league um, season next season. But it's definitely a hitter's league. The parks are a little bit smaller. The ball flies ball flies here really easily. Uh, it almost jumps off your back. Your bat as like a, a bouncy ball. I mean, some of the home runs are pretty impressive I've seen this year, and some of the hits you just kind of scratch your head like how they hit that. Um as far as comparing it to what's in the States, I mean, there really is no comparison. Um, they're in a, they're in a league of their own. Just like when I played in the KBO, it's a league of their own. It's a different style of baseball, the way they do things. Um, if I had to put a comparison between, you know, how they compare to like double A, triple A hitters, I'd say that's pretty comparable. There's double A, triple A hitters here. And then each, each team's defense is just, you know, depending on, on, on the day and, and their work ethic. And that's not a knock at it. It's just, that's, you know, they're focused on hitting, and that's fine. But, you know, pitching and defense for us in the States always wins championships, and that's what we're trying to preach here too. I don't know if you know this, Ryan, but you're the last pitcher of record for the Bisons having won uh, the last game of the season uh, last year in scranton Wilkesbury. Um, and, and your story was such a great one, you know, before even throwing a pitch with the Bisons last year. What do you remember maybe the most about your time in Buffalo or, or some of your good memories about last season? You know, the one thing that I remembered was how welcoming people were when I got there. Um, and I, and it was, it was Buffalo, you know, the fans there, but it was also just the Toronto organization uh, as a whole. Like I felt really welcome, really welcome there by everybody. Um, and I don't know if that's just me being an older guy now, you know, I'm not a rookie anymore or what, but I was really, really happy with the way, you know, the front office people, you, you know, um, our, our clubhouse guys, uh, Lesh and just everyone, the way they treated me was, was great and the way they treated my family. Um, and I do, you know, I do remember that last game against Scranton and uh, coming out of the bullpen, I had pitched in almost a month and it was just nice to get back on the mound. And, you know, I think we were, we were down at the time when I came in and we ended up scoring a couple of runs and I got that win to attend the season. So that was nice. And you got back to the big leagues last year as well. Um, you know, you just, if you look back at last year and having played in o overseas for a couple of seasons and then coming back stateside, is that a highlight, uh, you know, getting back to the big leagues and getting back to the spot where you've been before and you, you know you can perform? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, going overseas was kind of a stepping stone. And um, it, I tell people it's not really like – it wasn't a direct path. It was more or less a detour to get back to the big leagues. But it was a path that I felt was right for me and my family. And – ended up making the right decision and going over to Korea and made some money for my family. And then it came to point, okay, I want to try and go back to States and, and see if uh, this knuckleball is for real or not. And um, Started off the season really good in Buffalo, got back to the big leagues, and then it kind of declined from there afterwards. But um, 
nonetheless, it was um, it was great to show. Like, look, I'm I'm able to do this. I'm able to get back to the big leagues, not only for for myself, but to for other people that had doubted me in the past. Um, and again, like I know it wasn't it wasn't the greatest of appearances and stuff like that. But to get there's you know to get to the big leagues is just as hard as anything. Yeah, and you know something that I think all of us growing up uh, playing baseball dream of, and so very few get to actually realize. So when we were here in Buffalo, just watching those starts and, and seeing your opportunity was was quite the excitement for us as well. Um, I, I wanted to know maybe if coming back and playing an affiliated ball last year, your you felt your role was different in terms of you know being a little bit older and being a guy who has experienced a lot. Um, if if you've kind of felt that change in your role in Buffalo last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when I was, I go back to a couple of years, but in Korea, you know, I was viewed as like the leader of the team. And when you're a foreign pitcher over there, they expect a lot out of you as far as your performance and stuff like that. And coming back to the States last year, it was, it was definitely, definitely different. You know, AAA was, was a lot younger guys. Um, uh, well, last time I was in AAA, you know, I was, you know, it was still older guys. Like there were still veteran guys and a lot of younger guys were in double A. So it was definitely different to come up and see all these young guys up there and Bichette and Biggio and, you know, Vlad Jr. and stuff like that. And, and they deserve to be there. It was just different from my aspect. Like it's like, okay, how do I try to relate to these guys who are, you know, 13 years younger than me, you know, 12 years younger than me. And it was definitely a challenge, but it was, it was fun being around those guys. It, it you know, baseball kind of keeps you young at heart and it keeps you going and, um, you, you just kind of roll with the times and, and what's going on there. Yeah, to me, that's some of the fun of getting through the season and, you know, being around uh, guys like yourself and the younger players is seeing if, you know, someone like Nate Pearson, who is, you know, on, on his way to, to stardom and uh, hopefully uh, big things in his future, see what those guys pick up from older pitchers or, you know, older, relatively speaking, but more experienced and, and seeing how they interact and, and what each other can feed off of and, and how those kind of interactions happen. Yeah, and, you know, a, a guy with Nate, I think it's more or less, it, you can't really tell him a whole lot that, like, pitching-wise, like, he's one of a kind. Like, I, you know, I never threw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. I never had exploding stuff. But I think for, for me, like, having a chance to talk to him or anyone else on that team, it's just about experience, like, what I've been through, what challenges you might face um any any type of mental edge that i might be able to give those guys at a young age because i was in their shoes 13 years ago i got called up to the big leagues a couple weeks after my 21st birthday so i knew what they were going to expect and and i just tried if they if they had questions that is you know like tried to help them out any way i could um a lot of those guys are very mature for their age and they've done really well at the big leagues and i wish them nothing but you know success from here on out now, what's what's next for yourself? Uh, are you on a regular schedule of every five days? Um, I know you're starting uh, in a starting capacity, but when's your next start, and how do, does that all play out? Yeah, so I actually just had a start last night. We ended up playing a team called the Fubon Guardians up in Taipei, which is the capital. And uh, we, we do kind of like a – Sometimes it's a six-day, sometimes it's a seven-day rotation. We have every every Monday's off in the league, but also there's another off day in the league, which is kind of like a practice day. I know some fans are going to be like, wow, that's a lot of off days, and it, it is. It's a lot of off days, and it's it's kind of a grind compared to when you're used to pitching every fifth day in the States, um, and even every sixth day when you're in Korea, um, having having six days off in the pitch in seventh is a lot of time, but we only have four teams here, so they're trying to extend the season as long as they can and get the most out of us as they can. 
And how long does the, the season go, the regular season at least go? From what I'm seeing right now, it's supposed to end the second week in October. But that was that was with the, the Olympic schedule and if uh, the Taiwanese national team um, had made the Olympic qualifier and all that stuff. So I'm not really exactly sure when our season will end. Uh, but I, if I had to guess, it would be sometime the first week in October. I we'll have to make sure we keep tabs on the league you're in over in Taiwan, the CPBL, and uh, make sure we. And it was a 12-hour time difference, so you're, you know, I'm. It's here stateside. It's 10 o'clock at night uh, Eastern. It's already Saturday morning for you, so um, you know, folks will do their best to keep up. But uh, hopefully, we can keep tabs and uh, keep in touch. And, and this has been really fun, Ryan. I appreciate you joining me uh, here for a couple of minutes today. Is there anything else you, know, you want to say to the fans here in Buffalo? Yeah, you know, fans in Buffalo, thanks for everything last year. I wish you guys. Uh, back home, nothing but success in all that you're doing. Uh, make sure you guys are staying safe and staying healthy with this pandemic going on, and hopefully this thing will be over with soon, and ba baseball will resume uh, for everybody back home. Ryan, I appreciate your time today here. Thank you very much. All right, Pat, thank you. Many thanks again to Ryan Fearbend for joining us, and hope he continues to pitch well over in Taiwan this season, and look forward to potentially seeing Ryan back stateside next year as well. As we continue here in the Power Alley, it's time to take a look back at some of the memorable moments in Bison history in the month of May, and we start on May the 5th. Many of us know that day as Cinco de Mayo, but it is known with infamy to Ron Johnson as Stinko de Mayo. We go back to May 5th, 2007. A game which began at the end of April was resumed in downtown Buffalo on May the 5th with Buffalo taking on Pawtucket, and the Bisons found themselves trailing heading into the bottom of the ninth inning, but that all changed with a nine-run bottom of the ninth, the largest comeback in the team's history, resulting in a 15-14 win by the Bisons over the Paw Sox, and Trent Durrington, an infielder for the Bisons back in 2007, was credited with the victory. On May the 7th in 2013, you may remember Anthony Ghost stealing the show in downtown Buffalo, not only for the fans in Buffalo, but to a national audience as well. Anthony Ghost, a very speedy outfielder for the Buffalo Bisons, put his speed on display in the bottom of the first inning. Luis Jimenez needs a knock to drive in his 30th RBI of the year. Here comes Ghost, the pitch to the plate by Arietta, not even close! Anthony Ghost steals home! Oh, what a play! One of the most exciting moments in baseball. That was our friend Ben Wagner along with Buffalo Baseball Hall of Famer Duke McGuire as Anthony Ghost stole home a straight steal of home plate off soon-to-be World Series champion Jake Arrieta. At the time pitching for the Norfolk Tides, Arrieta was on the mound, Ghost stole home, and he was the number one play on SportsCenter's Top 10 on this day on May the 7th, 2013. Those of us that are a little bit older and may remember the Bison's affiliation with the Pittsburgh Pirates, go back to May the 9th, 1991, the first of two exhibition games that the Bisons and the Pirates would play at then-Pilot Field, the first taking place on May the 9th, 1991. Not only would the Bisons win the seven-inning exhibition game 4-2 over their parent club, but before that, Barry Bonds would put on an epic display as part of the home run challenge including being the first to go to straightaway center field and sending the fans home happy. Well, here in the Power Alley, we not only take a look at the great moments in the modern era for the Buffalo Bisons, but also with the help of our friend Brian Frank, who is the creator and the curator of the Herd Chronicles, we look back at May the 12th 
1895, before the turn of the century, Billy Botanis was a member of the Buffalo Bisons, and the season began on that day in 1895, and Botanis put on one of the more impressive offensive displays in the Bisons' entire history. Billy Botanis was a kind of a career minor league player. He came to play with Buffalo in 1895 when he was 30 years old. Uh, he was a, a left fielder, uh, batted left-handed, and really made a name for himself on opening day for the Bisons in 1895. It was a bitterly cold day, and according to the National Weather Service, it actually, the high temperature that day was 40 degrees, which still to this day is a record for the lowest high temperature on May 12th. So high temperature was 40 degrees. Um, the game started at about 3.30, 4 o'clock, and Billy Botanist had himself a day. You know, it's funny, as you mentioned that, I think about some of the opening days we've had here where we've had snow or or games that have been postponed due to weather. They played through for a little while, through seven innings. They did. They played, and uh, Botanist came up in the first inning. The, the game was against the Wilkes-Barre Coal Barons, and they were also called the Miners. Um, he came up the first pitch he saw. He had a solo home run. Then he came up the following inning in the second inning and blasted a three-run home run. Um, which the Buffalo Courier reported went over the houses that were across the street from the stadium, came up in the third inning and hit a two-run home run that, again, the Buffalo Inquirer said uh, went over the houses across the street. So three innings, three home runs. Wow, and that's that in and of itself would be a bison record. We know in the modern era, nobody has hit more than three. The most recent to do it was Brett Wallace, but he wouldn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He came up again in the fifth inning, which was his worst at-bat of the day. He had an RBI double. <laughs> <laughs> so that was his. And then he comes up in the seventh inning and hits a two-run home run. Um, so he ended up five for five on the day with four home runs, a double, and nine RBI. Brian Frank joins us from the Herd Chronicles. That's amazing. You go five for five. And, and that's an era, you know, folks were may remember that's not an era known for a lot of home runs and not a lot of uh, big power shown so that was pretty something pretty special 1895 you're not going to find um, four home run games very often um, the the game ended up Buffalo ended up winning 18 to 13 um, and there were actually eight home runs hit that day which is which is kind of amazing botanist had four of them um, another bison player John Sheeran had one and then Wilkes-Barre had three. One was by their pitcher, Sal Campfield, which is kind of nice to hear because he had such a hard day on the mound. At least he had a home run there. But another amazing thing about the game, too, is that both starting pitchers, even though it was 18-13 with eight home runs, they both went the distance and uh, pitched. They called the game after seven innings because of the cold. Um, but both pitchers pitched all seven innings, and, and Botanis had that amazing four-home run game in a seven-inning game. And, man, that just brings up some memories. I know we haven't had a four-home run game here at the ballpark, but I think of some of the three-homer games, the guys like Dusty Wathen, mentioned Brett Wallace. Uh, those are some, some games that really go down in the history of this ballpark as some of the more memorable moments. Yeah, some great ones in the modern era. I think there have been ten Bisons in the modern era that have hit three home runs. And as you said, Brett Wallace was the last one back in 2014. But no one's ever hit that fourth one and caught Billy Botanist. I know Jeff Manto had a, had a big three-home run game and then came up with the fans cheering him on to hit the fourth one but uh, wasn't able, able to get that fourth one. So Botanist to, the, to this day is still the only Bison to have four home runs in a game. 
Our thanks to Brian for bringing us the story of Billy Botnus as part of that Bison's 18-13 win over Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Back on May the 19th, 2012, Vinny Rettino etched his name in Bison history, becoming one member of the team to hit three home runs in a game as Buffalo defeated Indianapolis by a score of 11-6, and Rettino joined the list that includes Dusty Wathen, Jeff Manto, and even Brett Wallace as having a three-home run game at the downtown ballpark. Also notable May Days include birthdays for former Bisons, and who could forget Bartolo Colon has thrown the only no-hitter in the downtown ballpark's 30-plus year history, and Colon's birthday is on May the 24th. May 27th, one of the more rare plays you see in baseball, but it happened on this day in 2016 as the Bisons completed a triple play in the bottom of the fourth inning at Toledo. It would come in an 8-0 loss to the Mud Hens, but an exciting play nonetheless for the Bisons on this day in May the 27th. Pitch is bounced to the left side, fielded by Adams at third, steps on third, goes to second for one, on to first, triple play! Unbelievable! John Hicks bounces into a 5-4-3 triple play to end the inning. Also, before we close out the month of May, on the 29th, back in 2013, Ryan Goins found himself lapping the base paths against the Durham Bulls. 1-1. Swing and a fly ball to straightaway center field. Thompson now drifting off to his left. On the run, reaches out, and he cannot get it. It bounces away from him. Around second, Goins peeks over his shoulder. Marty Brown has a decision to make. Now they're going to send him home. Goins races to the plate. Not in time. An inside-the-park home run for Ryan Goins. The inside-the-park home run by Goins in 2013 is the last one that has been accomplished by a member of the herd, and it goes down on this day on May the 29th, 2013. And as we close out the month of May, we also wish a happy birthday to Dave Roberts, whose birthday is on May the 31st. Now manager of the L.A. Dodgers, Roberts electrified Bison fans for several seasons as he is the team's modern era leader in stolen bases before going on to have one of the more famous stolen bases in Major League postseason history. We thank you for joining us here in the Power Alley today. That will do it for us. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation with Ryan Fearbend and a look back at the month of May. I'm Pat Melicaro. We'll talk to you next time right here in the Power Alley.